Washington's a different city than it was 20 years ago. The hope rises again, and the dream lives on. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. The world will return to this great American city to run harder than ever and to cheer even louder. This is our f***ing city. Ladies and gentlemen, please make some noise for Jimmy Tingle. plane still no protection on the plane folks now they're talking about arming the pilots okay giving the pilots guns i honestly think somebody in the plane should have a gun folks i don't think the pilot is the person that should have the gun they already have a very important job <laughs> if these people have to be involved in gunplay who's flying the plane and that voice is, of course, the great Jimmy Tingle, who is with us in studio here on the Boston Podcast. Jimmy Tingle, everybody, he's here. Yes, Jimmy. Thank you. Okay. And that, by the way, is exactly why we don't let Dave Yaz have a gun during these podcast uh, tapings. Yes, that's right. That would be carnage. Yes. Yes. Really tasteful, Max, to bring up the gun humor right off the bat in light of everything that's going on. Well done. Um, here with uh, I play the clip. I'm, <laughs> I did play the clip. Um, here with Max Perlman. Monica Singh and Sarah Worley, per usual, and just really excited to, to talk to Jimmy Tingle. It seems like every comedian needs a plane bit. Does every comedian need a plane bit? I don't know if they all need a plane bit, but we all fly all the time. All right. And so it's almost a generic thing. And I was actually even reluctant to do the piece because everybody does it, to your point. Yeah. But some of the stuff was just so obvious, and the audience identifies with it, so it's just right there for you. And with the whole airport security, one shoe bomber, one shoe bomber, for the rest of our life, everybody has to take off their shoes yeah. at the airport. Then we got the underwear bomber. Yeah. Now what are we now supposed to do? <laughs> Welcome to Logan. Take off your pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is, it's funny, and you do, uh, and we're going to get into this, uh, Jim, uh, you know, part of your game is... is political satire yeah. and you talk a lot about the gun issues which needless to say is on everybody's mind now but that reminds me of the guy who shot up the the movie theater dressed as spider-man right yeah and so what do we do we enact rules that you can't wear costumes right. in movie theaters right so but um but it's funny that you yeah. mentioned that the guy that rick perry has since dropped out of the race sure. right but the shooting it was in a movie theater in tennessee i believe like the day after he said i believe that um I would consider having the allowing the movie goers to bring their own weapons into the theater. I'm saying, excuse me, Mr. Perry, the movie companies won't even let you bring in your own popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> now you're going to let you bring in your own guns? What is that, in case the movie gets boring? What the hell is wrong with it? <laughs> it's true. They won't let you, bring, you have to sneak in a soda if you want to bring in. Really? I, I wish I had a gun during the first Zoolander, actually. Yeah, I would use it on myself. Bite your tongue. About your tongue. Awful movie. Come Walked on. Out. Underrated. I can't wait for the sequel. Uh, so Jimmy Tangle, he, he's been, he's synonymous with Boston co comedy, at least in, in my opinion, and, and one of the greats. He's He's been on The Tonight Show. He's been on Conan O'Brien. You, you had your own off-Broadway show. You, you sort of kind of ran for president uh, as a goof with the, the humor for humanity. Uh, one-man show. One-man yeah. show. One a lot man of show. fun. Okay. And I had ideas, some of the candidates never came up with that I thought would have been very effective policy, uh, implement uh, something we can implement in terms of policy. Right here in Massachusetts, for example, they have the toll booths in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Under a Tingle administration, I would move the toll booth from the middle of the middle of the state to the perimeter of the state. Only allow people coming into Massachusetts. Anybody who coming into Massachusetts, you need to pay the toll. Welcome. New Hampshire, Connecticut, Vermont, Maine. Welcome to Massachusetts. There's a cover charge. It's $10. <laughs> it's $10 to come into the state of Massachusetts. Enjoy yourself. You want to leave? 20 bucks. <laughs> that would raise money right off the bat. Candidate Tingle, can I, can I recommend that maybe it would be better to take the money from them on the way out? That yes. way, they've got the money to spend here, yeah. and they don't realize it until they're leaving. There you go. Yeah. I th I th what's your name, sir? Max Perlman. You're in the cabinet, Max. Excellent. <laughs> Secretary of Transportation. Congratulations, Max. There you go. It's exciting. Um, I think people should have to uh, answer. If you had to come up with, like, three questions <clears throat> for people to answer when they come into Mass, I think maybe they have to be able to pronounce... Uh, 
Gloucester, Worcester, Gloucester and Worcester, and yeah. uh, Lemonster or something, right? right? right. Because yeah, I, we don't have time for people that can't that call it Gloucester or Worcester, right? Thing, right. So um, let's go. Let's go. Let's uh, get back in the time machine, Jimmy. I'm, I'm just curious, as I am with all entertainers, um, who who did you you do a lot of um, comedy about the Catholic Church and, and growing up that way? As I think, I think that's also a prerequisite of basically every Boston comedian. But, I think so. Yeah. It goes back to your roots. Whatever right. your people's roots are, that's what they reflect on. When I went to New York, it was all Jewish comics, right. always talking about their Jewish roots and how their Jewish mother and their Jewish family. And, and in Boston, it's the same thing only with the Catholics. Yeah. Right. So who did you admire growing up in terms of uh, comedians? You, you know, I didn't watch a great deal of comedy growing up. I mean, I watched basically the Three Stooges, the Beverly Hillbillies, Mikhail's Navy. As a matter of fact, my father loved those shows. He'd sit there and watch the Beverly Hillbillies. When I first started doing comedy, I, I showed my father and my mother my, my first five minutes of material. I played harmonica. I did song parodies, the Test 2 Baby Blues. Let me give you a little, <laughs> let, let me give you a little rendition. I'm a Test 2 Baby, that's why I got the blues. Was a man-made mutation scientifically abused? Was the miracle of the laboratory? How come I never made sense? 60 minutes or even the news. <laughs> my father, I did the whole song for my father, right? He's sitting there. He's got a cigarette, he's got a palm oil, takes a drag of the cigarette, takes a swig of the schlitz, goes, Jimmy, I'm a man who likes to laugh. The Beverly Hillbillies are funny. The Flintstones are funny. That ain't funny. <laughs> oh, man. And he was right. But when you first start, no one knows what they're doing. You're just trying to, you know, yeah. put it together. You, but, see, you didn't even rate with the Flintstones, huh? Well, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, Barney Rubble, what an actor. And my, of course, my mother's going, no, that's not true, Jimmy. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> Test two, baby. That's why I got the blues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean... But my, my influences, honestly, were more family uh, neighborhood. I mean, of course, everybody has the comedic influences. Bill Cosby, the first album that he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Carlin. You know, Richard Pryor. As we got older and started to pay attention to stand-up comedy, Rodney Dangerfield. Those are the people that I really liked. But I, I think of a lot of the Boston comics who were really influential as well because I got a job at the Ding Ho Chinese Restaurant Comedy Club in 1980, and that was a, the local comedy club. There was only two. There was the Comedy Connection and the Ding Ho, and I was the daytime bartender and open mic performer and so I was really influenced more by Steve Sweeney, Don Gavin uh, Stephen Wright, Barry Crimmins Lenny Clark, DJ Hazard, all these people who were Paula Poundstone Jack Gallagher, just you know great comics that were coming out of there and uh, Dennis Leary started there with me and And uh, Bobby Goldthwaite, and we all worked at the place, and we were all, you know, 25 years old, whatever, and no one knew really what they were doing. Is Bob Goldthwaite a local guy? He or? he moved here from uh, upstate New York. He grew up in the same town as Barry Cremins, and when Cremins started the Ding Ho, Bobby, Bobcat moved here, and uh, he started performing, and he just really did great and right out of the box. Where, where was the Ding Ho? Yeah, the Ding Ho was on Springfield Street in Inman Square. Oh. It's right on the border of Cambridge and Somerville, uh. technically in Cambridge, but if you go into the parking lot, halfway, the other side of the parking lot is, I think, technically Somerville. So it's right in Inman Square. It was, it's now um, called uh, Olay, Olay oh, Mexican yeah, Restaurant. Yeah. Great place. Yeah. But anyway, when we started Forgive them, there, Jimmy. They yeah. don't know the, the history no, that's of, okay. of, of Boston comedy. Yeah, yeah. Ding Ho was legendary, along with the... For some reason, in every Chinese restaurant in, yeah. in the area, the Kowloon also, I think, Kowloon, one had yeah. a lot of comedy. But uh, Leno, Leno also came through the Ding Ho, didn't he? I didn't... No, I, Leno didn't, actually. He started before okay. us. He came through Emerson. Okay. Leno came through Emerson, and he started performing in the combat zone. None of us performed in the combat zone. Mm-hmm. But Leno, when he first started, there weren't comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. There weren't, like, so he performed in the combat zone, I think at the Naked Eye. I think he performed at, like, <laughs> Paul's Mall. That was around. Uh, yeah. Lenny's on the Turnpike mm-hmm. was around. Back in the day. I never performed at those places either. But the the early 80s is when the first comedy club started to appear. Yeah. In New York, you had the Improv and, and the Comedy Store out in L.A., and uh, Catch a Rising Star was in New York as well. Sure. But the Ding Ho was this unique thing because it wasn't a chain, it was not planned, it wasn't an industry room. It was Barry Kremens coming to Boston and he wanted to start a comedy club yep. for himself and other like-minded performers. And that's where Stephen Wright came out of and Paula Poundstone and Mike Donovan and Mike McDonald and all those 
great. I comments. remember uh, Saturday Drive Jimmy. J- DJ Hazard had the best beard in the yeah. comedy business. Yeah. It would go like three different ways, and he yeah. said, "You like my beard? Do I have too much time on my hands, or what?" <laughs> um, so, of all those great comics you saw coming through, who was? Give us a one or, or uh, if you haven't mentioned them already, yeah. someone who just blew you away. Someone who was like, you know, I always, I always loved Sweeney. Um, I used to be the bartender of his show on Sunday nights, and he would do characters. And um, there was like 80, 81, 82. And he did these characters that were just unbelievable. Nobody else was doing them. He preceded Billy Crystal with his characters. Don't get me started. You know, Billy Crystal. Yeah. Steve Sweeney was doing that tagline before Billy Crystal. So you're saying Crystal stole so, it. I'm yeah. not saying he stole yeah. it. I'm just saying Sweeney <laughs> was doing it. it. Sweeney was yeah. doing it. And when he went to... And anyway, so I was biased towards Sweeney because he was so different. And... Uh, he did the characters, and he was so brilliant. As a matter of fact, you see my little flyers here for the Wilbur Theater? Yes. Well, when the Swe- I was the show, daytime yeah. bartender for Sweeney, I had a job for Sweeney going out and putting his flyers around Cambridge. So I'd go out and awesome. give me 50 bucks. He'd give me 50 posters. Awesome. I got a buck a poster. I'd go out and put them all out. Then he'd walk around and go, I didn't see all my posters out. <laughs> You're getting $48 because I didn't count, you know. If he's but, retasting uh, his steps, why, why didn't he just go around and put the posters up himself? Too proud. He's a big guy. Yeah, he's, he's a big shot. I mean, Sweeney would Sweeney would uh, just – I mean, I saw, saw him at the comedy stop when I was a kid. Yeah. And just however long his set was, it was, it, it, I mean, it had you both uh, doubled over laughing so hard. Yeah. Uh, and he, although nationally he will probably always be known as the guy who, I think it was him, who, who had the line, you know what I'm going to say, Max? Yes, I do. What? The, the beans are over the Frank? Or the no, Frank? I think he said we got a bleeder. In, we got a bleeder. In, in something about Mary in the Ferrelli Brothers yeah. movie in, uh, in, <laughs> in that infamous scene. But why does a guy... Um, how does a guy? I mean, I don't mean to. This is going to sound like a negative question. How does a guy like that not make it bigger than Sweeney has? Well, there's a lot of luck in how people make it. You know, there just is. It's a lot. And you of too, it. Jimmy. By the way, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of luck, and it's a lot of. For example, Stephen Wright was so unique, right. so unique. When you talk about the most successful comics that have come out, I mean, in the industry lexicon of success, right? The thing, ho the the comedy producer from the Tonight Show, Peter LaSalle, came to this Chinese restaurant in Inman Square. Mm. I believe it was 1983. His daughter was going to Emerson. He read he read an article in the L.A. Weekly, I think it was, about Boston comics. This new breed of Irish Catholic comics coming out of Massachusetts. He read the article. His daughter was going to Emerson. He called the Ding Ho for directions. He wanted to set up an audition. And he and I personally gave him the directions to the Ding Ho. You go down Cambridge Street, you take a right on Springfield, you park on the lot, you know, lock your car. <laughs> um, but, but uh, and he saw Stephen Wright and was blown away because Stephen Wright was so unique, so brilliant, so unique, so clever. And the next two days later, he was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Mm. Now, that mm-hmm. is just the, the stars aligning <clears throat> yeah. for that type yeah. of audition, yeah. that type of... And Carson put him on, and, and at the time, Carson was the only show in town, and the rest was history. And then he had him on the next night, mm-hmm. the very next night, which was unheard of, because he, had, because he was so fresh and so unique and so different. Now, the, the standard way that people... Uh, really get on television as you leave Boston and you go to New York or LA and at, the, at that time in the 80s and 90s you audition for these people so you have to have a television set that is six minutes at the time mm-hmm. funny clean universal appeal in that everybody in Oklahoma and Idaho right. and California and New York will all get it and uh, it's got to be a certain type of thing and so it's, that's not always... What always works in the clubs or in a theater situation when you have an hour to do your thing isn't necessarily always transferable to television. Yeah. It doesn't always translate, and vice versa. Did you see that uh, Jerry Seinfeld documentary movie he did? Uh, just, it was just called Comedian, yeah. I think. Do you remember that? Yeah, there I was did. A, there was a, a kid. I grew up with this kid, a kid from Lexington. Uh, he goes by Orny Adams. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know if you ever met, uh, yeah. His real name's Adam Orny. It's a great scene. I, yeah. Um, right. Well, there's a scene, if, if we're talking about the same one, he's about to go on Letterman, and his, his, his opening joke is, so I get on the bus the other day, and there's a sign there. It's very disturbing, and it says... Um, uh, uh, one somebody on this bus has gonorrhea or something, or somebody on this bus has anal warts or something horrible. And so um, 
he said, so I look around, I'm the only one on the bus. And so <laughs> it's kind of a good gag. Yeah. But whatever the disease was, they made him change it. And they said, no, you got to say uh, psoriasis because that's less uh, halting and disturbing <laughs> right. to the audience. Right. And so the poor kid, right before he's about to go on Letterman, he goes, he goes he's going, all right, psoriasis. That's funny, psoriasis. He goes, that's not fucking funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's psoriasis. Right. But, um, but I'm just imagining the poor guy. So, but, but, I mean, you've done, how many times have you done The Tonight Show? I did the Tonight Show one time. Just one time. Tell us about that. 1988, with and the other guest was Bob Hope. Wow. And, yeah. and I'll tell you, um, you know, that's to your point about just changing one thing. Yeah. It's it's very difficult to work five years on a set, and that's this is the way it goes. This is the timing. This is the punchline, and then be asked to change it. That's why once I did the Tonight Show, I started to work clean. Because you work clean, you don't have to change anything. For, mm-hmm. So I started to work with a television mindset, in a sense, that, like, well, like when I do business events or corporate events. Sure. I'm out there, they're not hiring me to teach or to lecture or to do you know, things that divide the audience in the corporate setting. They're, they want entertainment. So I go out there and I do my entertainment and I, and I go, this is... You know, and I work clean, and so there's less chance of people getting upset or being... Uh, you know, being off-put by some of the material. But anyway, to The Tonight Show, yeah. they um, they wanted social and political humor. And I went on there and I did social and political humor. I just want to say a couple of the things that I did. It was December 15th, 1988. It was whatever that is, mm-hmm. 20 whatever years ago, 30 years ago. 27, and right? 27 years, years ago. ago. Uh, some of the issues that I talked about are still front yeah. and center mm-hmm. in the national debate. Here's one. Uh, Congress, folks, I'm going to just reenact one joke for you. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, so Congress recently voted against a, a seven-day waiting period. Pro- Sorry. Go ahead, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that applause. <laughs> so Congress just ro- uh, voted the other day against a seven-day waiting period to buy a gun. Now, folks, I don't want to sound like a Quaker, but when you think about it, is a week a long time to wait to see if John Hinckley is qualified to own a gun? <laughs> I mean, are Americans in that much of a hurry to get a gun that they're walking into gun shops going, hey, 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 I'm an American, I pay my taxes, I'm in an argument, I want a gun, I want it now. Well, just hold on, pal, just hold on. You're going to have to fill out a form. You're going to have to wait at least a week for the gun. A week! The guy will be gone in a week. <laughs> I want to shoot him now. Well, that's the point. A seven-day waiting period to buy yeah. a gun, and Congress is against it. Come on, will you, Congress? It takes three weeks to get a phone. <laughs> that's, and at the time, it did totally. take three weeks. That sounds almost dark now. The way you, When you tell that joke yes. now, yeah. given what's happened, yeah. and it sounds like... You but, switch two words to that joke. John Hinckley. And make it something more. It, that's it, right. It, it yeah. fits right and the background check now yeah. is not seven days. The background check that the NRA and some are opposing is a minute. It's a minute. Yeah. It's a federal background check that they still oppose. Even the United States Congress is opposed to. I mean, it's just on and on. I mean, you guys know the issue, right? That's one joke. And I want to just give you my closing joke, okay? So, ladies and gentlemen, now this is December 18, 1988, 18, 1843. <laughs> I believe the Civil War, they were, they were talking about, there were rumblings about the South seceding. Anyway, waiting, December 15th. Waiting period for a musket. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, 15, 1988, December 15th, the Iran-Contra was still in the news, right? So I'm reading, ladies and gentlemen, that between Ronald Reagan and George Bush, between the both of them, they still can't remember whether or not they sold guns to the Ayatollah. Mr. President, with all due respect, in the future, if you sell guns to people that take Americans hostage, jot it down. (laughs) (laughs) And let me just say this. That was the last thing I ever said on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did you do? How did you rate yourself? I did yourself? well. And I got off stage. Johnny calls me. He calls. He goes, Jimmy, as you're walking off, gives you the big okay. Oh, good. Which is wow. like the sign of approval. Wow, I walked through the curtain, and Jim McCauley, the producer of The Tonight Show, said, that was excellent. Start working on another one. And never had me back. Wow. Because, I don't know why, because mm. because they felt the set was very strong, it was very pointed, it was very uh, political. You know, we're talking about gun control, you're talking about Iran-Contra, I was talking about Star Wars and AIDS. I mean, I mentioned a lot of things about social, the, the uh, 
you know, our priorities as a country. Where are the priorities going? And we don't have money for this, we don't have money for that, but we have money for Star Wars. And anyway, it was a, it was a set that was heavily political, but they didn't want it at that time. Now, in the, in the 80s and the 90s, just like Orny's joke about yeah. gonorrhea, yeah. I don't think you would have a problem saying that now. Sure. The, ch- the standards have changed. Um, people, if anything, I mean, just look at Donald Trump. He can say yeah. anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so the standards have changed. What the culture can absorb, what people can process, and what they're offended by has greatly diminished. In that vein, do you, do you think that the comments today are don't seem? Are they not as funny to you? Do they, do they not seem as, uh, I mean, controversial maybe, or do you think that they're getting away with more because they're not oh, as comedians? Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're getting away with more definitely. Well, what happened? The reason the the reason that John Stewart and Colbert were so enormously successful, and not only successful in terms of ratings, but it's successful in terms of social and political satire. They have artistic freedom. They can say whatever they want. I mean, if you're not dropping the F-bomb, literally, and they're not broadcasting it, there's not a lot of things that you can't say on those shows. And so that allows people to be who they are, and it gives it just a much broader, uh, you know... They also... I'm sorry, Jim. Yeah, they also no, got that new thing where they'll let people drop the F-bomb on talk shows. Yeah. Now. They'll just they'll right. just beep it out right. afterwards, you know? Right. And, and um, Colbert, just did it, Colbert did it last night. He said he was doing a shtick with some uh, Victoria's Secret models... And he was trying to go to the show intro, and he said, "We had something else here, but um, you know what? F it." And he, but but he said, "You could hear he he dropped the f bomb, and they just beeped it out afterwards, which I think is strange." Yeah. <laughs> oh, he did. You oh, yeah. actually saw it. No, no, no it? It, but oh, he, he said, said it. said it, and it was bleep because obviously yeah. they pre-tape it, right? right. So, right. but but it was it was certainly his intent. Yeah. It was it wasn't the uh, right. It, wasn't without design anyway so yeah are we allowed to drop the f-bomb here i already did drop one listen carefully i think about the 10 minute mark I guess. that was the first f-bomb in the history of the boston podcast by the way that, right. that's true so, but sometimes it's not about yeah. especially and sometimes commentary what's really on the edge is not necessarily about the f-bomb mm-hmm. or a swear it's about what you're saying what the content is and what the message you're saying. And when I was on the Tonight Show, the message was, this is how I feel about guns, this is out of control, this is how we feel about Iran-Contra, this is out of control, the president can't remember, we're selling guns to the Ayatollah, trading arms for hostage. At the time, it was it was controversial, and um, they most likely, uh, you know, they don't write you a letter, you were too controversial, you can't come back, yeah. they just don't book you again. So that's, that's why Could that have been it, Jimmy? Yeah. On the Tonight Show? That's sure. why, yeah. I mean, it's so great that we have more outlets now like Comedy Central right. where yeah. people who want to hear that kind of stuff tune into it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And at the time that didn't exist. Did not exist. You, it if, didn't if you, exist. Right. There was four, you know, there was, that, yeah. that was the only show in town and Letterman as well. But, um, yeah. Jimmy, I'm curious, do when you're putting material together, are you thinking regionally? And the, the reason I ask you this, I was in Philadelphia over the yeah. weekend for a hockey tournament of all yeah. things. My daughter and I were driving around, we're probably 10 miles outside of Philly and, you know, she's 22, so she yeah. doesn't really want to talk to me while we're driving. But um, as we get she to the stop... She doesn't talk to you at all, probably. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. But we get to a red light. She turns to her right, looks at me, goes, ooh, Confederate flag, wow. And turns to me and says, we are clearly not in Massachusetts anymore. And this is right outside of Philadelphia. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, she has this feeling that we're just in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And it occurs to me... You know, kind of. Then we start looking around at the people around us a little more closely. What part of Pennsylvania were you in? We were in Feasterville, <laughs> Feasterville right. Travois. Okay. Well, I don't know where that is, but it's right outside sound, of Philadelphia. Sound, oh, yeah. Right outside of Philly. You get that's, that's you weird. get to yeah. a point. Look, Dave, we're going from one she hockey rink to another. She thought it was a third world yeah. country. Yeah. Okay. So when you go from one rink to the other, you actually go past a sign saying "Welcome to Philadelphia." Yeah. Just mm. like I don't see the big buildings. Ooh, but I see the Confederate flag. Yeah. Oh weird. my God. That's but, yeah. you know, but I wonder, for somebody like you, yeah. I mean, you, you've got to have your own feelings. You've got to yeah. have your own expression. But do you have to adjust it regionally depending sure. on where you are? Yeah, you do. I mean, for example, when I was on 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that was difficult for that that transition was just the accent. Mm-hmm. Just the just sure. the diet. Forget about what I was saying. Just the the, you know, you grow up in Boston, you have an accent, you don't even think you have one. Did you tone down the accent? I say, I want to hear the other, I want to hear the other version of you. I want yeah. to hear the 60 yeah. Minutes version well, of you. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I would try to, 
tone it down, but I wasn't even really aware of it. But it was there, nonetheless. It's like if you had a New Yorker, if you had Jimmy Breslin, or if you had a New Yorker, oh, Donald Trump, the way he speaks. You know, you know he's from New York, and that's just how he speaks. But, I mean, so there's all sorts of things when you do national television. You have to adjust it for that uh, to be successful, so it translates. So the audience so let's, can uh, get it. Sorry, Jimmy, I keep interrupting you. You deserve much better, but... Um, We're going to take a break here on the Boston Podcast, talking with Boston comedy legend Jimmy Tingle. By the way, all the info about Jimmy, how you can hire him for your events, is at jimmytingle.com. Also, info on his New Year's Eve show. If you're a loser like me, you still don't have plans for New Year's Eve. It sounds like an awesome take. Part of the proceeds go to Globe Santa. jimmytingle.com is where you find it. Right, Jimmy? That's right. And the name of the show is Humor for Humanity. Humor for Humanity. Okay, my... When we come back, we will hear a clip from Jimmy on 60 Minutes 2 and see if he lost the accent. We'll see what you guys think. Okay. Stay with us on the Boston Podcast. This is Deb Curran with the Brian Levine Court Reporting. You're listening to the Boston Podcast. Still a little fast. We'd like you to meet a man who offers what he likes to call uncommon sense. After hearing from him, you may not think it's that uncommon after all. He comes from Boston, a city that has given the world baked beans, the Red Sox, and now we're happy to report a writer named Jimmy Tinkle. No matter where I go in this fine land, folks, I manage to get at least one. You know what I'm talking about, the parking ticket. Now let me explain. I don't mind putting a quarter in the parking meter and renting out that piece of land for 15 minutes. Good deal. What gets me is if you're four minutes late, you literally get a ticket for $20. Hey, fellas, give me a ticket for a quarter. I'll gladly pay a ticket for a quarter. Where do you get $20? I mean, in the course of four minutes, somebody raised the rent 8,000%. (laughs) So that, uh, we're talking with the great Jimmy Tingle, and that was a little bit of a blast from the past when you you worked two seasons on 60 Minutes 2. I take it that was the the only two seasons that the show ran, right? It Uh, it ran, I think, four or five. Um, After two seasons, they brought me in a room and said, Jim, you've done a wonderful job here, but... We're going in another direction. Oh. And I'm looking at him going, where you going? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not going anywhere, Jim. <laughs> so did you guys think that he toned down the Boston accent in that clip? Uh, no. no. I could hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the yeah. thing is, but, but I don't know if um, Boston accents are, are, are at their peak in terms of popularity. I have this theory that Damon and Affleck in Goodwill Hunting, it was such a hit of a movie, people all of a sudden started thinking the Boston accent was something sort of hip and cool, yeah. whereas in the past it was... And hot. And <laughs> oh, okay. Ben Affleck could have, been, could have just done a Boston accent in that movie, it would have been nice. See, you're it was full the, of it. It, it you was don't the know worst what Boston accent. You don't know what you're talking about. Awful. No, you're wrong. With Ben? Yeah. You don't think he has a... I thought it was We did a whole show on I thought he sounded like a guy from Cambridge trying to sound like a guy from South. Interesting. Interesting. But Damon nailed it. Yes. Yeah. Nailed it. But they both grew up in Cambridge, and they both grew up pretty working class. Uh, It's really a working class accent, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Blue collar. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe it is. You got got the Kennedy accent. Yeah, right. Which is charming or whatever. Right, right, right. So, um... Whatever that one is, is really hot. (laughs) Ask not. It's the the Kennedy one? The Kennedy one. Yeah. So the... But the time you spent on 60 Minutes, too, uh, yeah. enjoyable, fun? I mean, Oh, yeah, it was great. It was a blast. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, they treated me great. Um, it was an honor to be on the show. Uh, this, you know, it's, the, I think, the longest-running television show in history, mm-hmm. 60 Minutes. Uh, and they, it was 60 Minutes, too. They made a, yeah. a sequel. Yeah, it was I'm Wednesday sorry, I thought it said yeah. 60 Minutes, too. Was that a half-hour yeah. show? It was an hour show. It was an hour show, and I was doing the Andy Rooney thing at the Thank end. Thank you, Max. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was great experience. Who did they replace you with, if you don't mind me asking? Dick, uh, what's his name? Charles Grodin. Exactly. Yeah. You just called him Dick, though. Yeah. I mean, Dick <laughs> no, Grodin. I was going to say, what's that? Really? Charles Grodin. I remember that. Charles Grodin. Because I don't, yeah. I don't remember Grodin doing that. He but. did it for a year, maybe two. Then they replaced him with somebody else, and then they went off the air. And the reason they went off the air was the, the Dan Rather... Um, incident oh, really? with, the, with incident? the the incident with Bush's 
uh, Vietnam records, uh, what was it, National Guard. Oh, that's right. That story was actually broke by the new producer <coughs> of 60 Minutes 2. And the original producer of 60 Minutes 2 had gone over to replace, um, oh, what's his name? The, 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 produce, the original producer of 60 Minutes, who I believe had passed away or had left. I can't think of his name right now. Okay. But anyway, Jeff Fager went over to replace him. And the new producer of 60 Minutes 2, I believe it was a 60 Minutes 2 show that that, that that story came out on. So there were two incidents that I remember. One was, what, you're not talking about when Rather walked off the air because he no. wasn't getting the You're talking about the one where Bush fired back at him. I'm talking and, and about accused those, him of, of ambushing and all that. And, I'm talking yeah. about the story that um, they said three weeks before the election that the, the movie was just made of. Yeah. Yeah. Three weeks before the election, a report came out, and Dan Rather read it on the air. I believe it was 60 Minutes 2 that he read that on the air, and that was contested oh, and see, yeah. became this big scandal that it was a forged document and... That's and all that hassle. I think they just consolidated and said we're just going to do sixty minutes. That they had maybe felt they spread themselves too thin or whatever. I'm not mm-hmm. sure all the details, but I believe it was sixty minutes too that that actually happened on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was tough for six so, minutes for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, but they do a great job. And every once in a while, something screws up. You know, mm-hmm. falls through the cracks or whatever. Mm-hmm. So tell us about. Um, what you're up to now, you, you, you spend your time, we know you spend uh, some of your time doing corporate events. You know, yeah. I've seen you at a couple of things, you do a fantastic job, but yeah. what else? And I'm also working on my own uh, idea called Humor for Humanity. I went back to school five years ago, I went to the Kennedy School of Government and got a master's degree there in Look public administration. Mm. Yeah, I loved it. Amazing. Man, Excuse I loved us. it. And uh, I loved it. And I since when I was there, I was just around so many inspiring people who are from all walks of life, both in this country and abroad, who are just trying to improve society in their own way, whatever field they're in, whether it's some people from the military were sent there, some people from corporate America, some people from the NGOs and the human rights organizations all over the world. And they're all trying to, they're coming there, they're mid-careers, they're retooling their, their professional lives, and they're going back and to the workforce, and I was there as a, I went as a comic, I had, that's all I had been doing my entire career, I mean, occasionally on television with 60 Minutes or MSNBC, but primarily live performing, but always with the social and political uh, underlying theme sure. in most of the so material. That, that's why you went to get your degree, yeah. just because you became so... I was so into public policy yeah. that I just said, well, maybe there's something else besides entertainment to do. And when I was there, I realized the value of entertainment, the value of what you're doing with your podcast right now is is just another dimension in the whole cultural sure. conversation. And I realized all these people are really earnest and hardworking and they're all... It, public policy wonks and they're going back into municipal government, state government, yes. federal government, the United Nations, World Bank, but none of them are on television. Very few are on television. Very few are on the radio. Very few are in the cultural entertainment world. And I realized I'm really uniquely positioned as an entertainer to use that voice in the in the cultural conversation to hopefully provide more than entertainment. You were so, ahead of the curve because because then uh, Stuart and Colbert come along and That's sort of right. invent well, Bill Maher and invent. no no they've been doing it they yeah. were already on the okay. air I was I was doing I've been doing this comedy as you saw yep. before I mean before Stuart and Colbert Stuart actually opened for me once as a comic mm-hmm. um, which is great and I know him from New York and he's great and he's no one did it better than Stuart and Colbert in my opinion mm-hmm. um, Bill Maher's been along around longer than all of us but anyway but but to use it for purposes beyond entertainment. They do use it for purposes beyond entertainment, but there's very rarely calls to action right. on those shows. And what I'm trying to do is develop a show that can actually have calls to action. For example, around guns, okay. you know, or around whatever issue it is. Not just to inform people about, woe is me, look how bad things are. What can we do about it? Mm-hmm. And that's what, one of the things I'm trying to do. Last summer I did a series of shows down in Wellfleet on the Cape, Humor for Humanity was the name of it and I did it at a church down there and I just uh, partnered with nonprofits and we had like 10 or 12 nonprofits from the Cape the Cape Cod food pan you know the Howitch was it the family pantry in Howitch um, the Wellfleet food pantry uh, Cape Cod Habitat for Humanity all sorts of different groups the Red Cross 
And what we did is we just did profit sharing with them. And so when an audience member went to the website to buy a ticket, they could check any of those boxes. And if they wanted a, p a portion of their proceeds of the ticket price to go to them, that's what we did. So it was like 20% of the ticket price at the time was $5. And so we were able to raise over the course of the summer <coughs> You know, a few thousand dollars for various Cape Cod nonprofits. And if you're a small little food bank and you get a check for 400 bucks, it's a good donation, you know? And so, anyway, but that's the point. Trying to use the shows for purposes beyond just the shows. It's fulfilling as a, a, a performer and just as a citizen. It's fulfilling as a citizen. So, I mean, comedy for charity is nothing new, but what you're saying yeah. is you're, this is strategic. Like, you're, you're yeah. picking the causes that you want to get behind. Is that Yeah, yeah, but it's also a work in progress. It's okay. not fully developed, but right now, if you went to my website at jimmytingle.com there's a series of podcasts there where I'm interviewing people from the, for example the Karen Treatment Center we did a fundraiser for them they did a big fundraiser they hired me it's not phil it's not philanthropic entirely on my end it's a social enterprise so it's a business and the whole challenge with the business is how do you make it sustainable and also grow the pie for everybody so that's the the main challenge but, for example, the Karen Treatment Center, I was interviewing the, um, the CEO of the treatment center here in Boston, and we had on, um, uh, from the Dropkick Murphys, uh, oh, what's his name? The lead singer? The lead singer. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Murphy. Kate. No, no, stop no, no, no. His name's Casey. Ken Casey? Ken, Ken, Ken Casey. Casey. Yeah. Ken Casey yeah. was on, and then uh, Kay Hanley from mm -hmm. the uh, Letters to Cleo, the lead singer for Letters oh, yeah. to Cleo. And she was on, they were both talking about their experience with friends and relatives of, who engaged, you know, who were affected by substance abuse, how the Karen Treatment Center helps people. Mm -hmm. So it was a fulfilling way to not only be paid for what I'm doing, but also to carry a message sure. bigger than just that, that particular evening's event. And, and so that's what I'm trying to do. That's cool. We gotta think of ways to help them, Max. Yeah, we, I claim, we claim to run the city, so we can. Do it. I mean, we want it. We you guys get, run the city. Well, not, not yet, but we're getting yeah, there. Yeah, but, we're, but, we're, he likes to think he does. You're, you're building an empire. We're figuring <laughs> it out. Oh, good. Is is there anybody? I, I, you, I bet you have performed in front of every single Boston politician, business person, lawyer of note. Yeah. Is there anybody you haven't performed in front of that you'd like to? It performed in front of. Yeah. I haven't performed for Obama. Robot. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, How about people we might know? <laughs> the man shoots up. You asked him. Okay. Obviously, Mayor Walsh. You, you've probably performed oh, yeah. in front of the last three mayors of Boston. Yeah, and, yeah. And every, you every senator, every congressman, yeah. you name it. I did one for Ted Kennedy. It was down in Washington. That was great. And it was pretty funny because this was maybe 10 years ago. And it wasn't as divided as it is now. But it was divided. And so I figure it's a Ted Kennedy event. We're in a room full of Democrats. Not true. So, uh, And I know it's not true because my first joke was about Arnold Schwarzenegger running for president or something. And it was like silence, right? <laughs> and, and about 10, about 15 minutes, I'm supposed to do 45 minutes. About 15 minutes into my act, I get a note and it's in a, on a napkin and it says, Wrap it up from Ted. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I hope you kept that. I hope of you still I have didn't. it. Of course I didn't. Oh, oh, no. But in deference to Ted, this is the only person I would have done it for, I, I graciously got off the stage. <laughs> Can I tell you, I don't know if you ever heard Ted's story, speaking of the intersection of Kennedy and comedy. He, he, um, he spoke at a, a lawyer thing, Mass Academy of Trial Attorneys. I, I think you've, you've probably worked their events over the years, Jimmy, but... Kennedy spoke at one thing down the Cape, and he tells the story. And I met him beforehand. He was passing through the crowd. Passing through the crowd, he, he could barely remember anybody's name. I, and I said to myself, has he really become the bumbling idiot that everyone thinks he is? When he got up and spoke, he had everybody eating out of his hand. He told the story about how when he was a young lawyer, he tried a case, and he was trying a case of a guy who was, I think, uh, he, he was a prosecutor. And he was trying a case of a guy drunk driving after a Red Sox game. And so the, the Ted, you know, did, did his, gave his case and put his case in. Defense attorney gets up and blah, blah, blah. This guy's a nice family man. And all he was trying to do that day was root for the Red Sox. And so, and so everybody laughs. And, and sure enough, he loses, he loses the case. But, uh, I mean, talk about, I mean, the power of, uh, you know, uh, the spoken word. I mean, he, he, when, when he had to turn it on, he could turn oh, yeah. on that Kennedy yeah. charm. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he was funny. He was, oh, he yeah. was really he funny. funny. Sure. He was really funny. So um, let's see, uh, Max. You had uh, you wanted to talk to Jimmy about 
present uh, who, who he likes in the business yeah. now. I want to throw some names yeah, sure. of comics. You are Boston's comedian. You are of the people, by the people, for the people here in Boston. And I shall not perish from the earth. And, and, no, I'll hopefully not. No time soon. But I, so I, I want to get your read on, on some comics. Sure. And I don't know if there's a comics I code. To, I just let me preface this by saying I don't watch a lot of comedy. Okay. I honestly don't. Wow. I know the people that I started with, and I know their acts. And I know, but if you ask me, like, you could name the top ten comics that come through this town going to the Wilbur. Maybe three or four of them I've seen. Okay. Because I, I don't watch a lot because I kind of do my own thing. That's fine. You, yeah. you, we, you can pass on any sure. on any of these. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, you know, I, I respect your opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, and and I, there's probably some comics code where you're not allowed to yeah. call somebody out. So so just wink at me if you hate somebody, and I'll tell pe- the, the viewers that that's what <laughs> yeah. We can cut it out. Too. Um, and we any of us could throw. I, I mean, one of my favorites is Alonzo Bowden. Mm-hmm. You, you know who he is? Yes. Yeah. And I worked with him up in. Um, I worked with him up in Montreal, and he's on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yes, he is. Yeah, it's very oh, funny. Oh, that's very I funny. Him. Okay. I don't know that much about him. I only saw him do one set. We worked together at the the comedy festival up there in 2007, I think it was, and uh, it was me, him, Matt, Mark Marin, uh, Colin Quinn was on the bill. Uh, it was great, and they do this huge theater up there. I mean, 2,500 people. It's the gala event mm-hmm. of the year, and they tape it for. Uh, the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, and uh, but that's how I know Alonzo. You know, yeah. he has a podcast too called um, I think it's What You've Missed. It's actually really it's a really good podcast. Well, I like him on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. Yeah. I got to tell you, my quick Colin Colin Quinn told me I was funny. I just want everyone to know. All right, good. Yeah, the, t- the context was you I was, are funny. I was a contestant. The, the looks aren't funny. everything. I was. Do you know? Guess where he told me I was funny. Can anyone guess? You guys think you know something about me? He. Um, I was a contestant on Remote Control, that TV, that uh, wow. game show. Wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna YouTube that tonight. By the way, he was, he was also on Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. You I was, were? but that was not planned, really. With with, uh, with Sam LaGrasse, Guy Fieri, and Guy Fieri, sure. Yeah. I made wow. Guy Fieri laugh because I, I, we were talking about different difference. Hey, we Jimmy, Jimmy, at yeah, some point, this all becomes about Dave. And okay. Now, yeah. all right. Even with Jerry Tangle in the room. Uh, I actually have a question. I, I want to know, can comedy be taught or do you think it's a natural instinct? So you talked, you talked, you gave us I think it, I think you can definitely improve and I think you can, it can be taught. It's just like, uh, I mean, put it this way. When most people start, they're not very good. They're just not. But there's something about them, and if they keep stick with it and they try, and um, they can improve. And I've seen most people, myself included, just improve. You just get better by doing it, and you learn. You might not learn it out of a book. I never read a book about it, but um, you can. You can definitely. Uh, you can definitely improve, and just by doing it and watching other people. Uh, one of the problems, one of the reasons I don't watch a lot of comics is because you don't want to be, like when I first started, it was hard not to be influenced by people who started ahead of you. So one of the biggest challenges I had was not being, trying to be Mm -hmm. like Sweeney, not trying to be like Lenny, not not trying to be like Gavin, just do your own thing. And that took a, that took a while because if you have no training in it, which I didn't, and you just watch 10 people a week, you know, you just pick up things and it's like a baseball swing oh I'm gonna swing like you know this guy swings uh, like Kyle Yastrzemski yeah. or one of these guys swings you don't want to become an amalgam- amalgamation of, of a bunch of different comics here. right yeah. and you eventually you find your own voice but to yeah. your to your point yes you can you can get better and Emerson just started a, a comedy course I believe did they really yeah And but the people who did really well this is interesting the people that are from around here that really did well, not all of them, but a lot of them were educated in the field. Sure. Dennis Leary went to Emerson. Stephen Wright went wow. to Emerson. Yep. Eddie Brill, who was the booker for uh, Letterman for many years, went to Emerson. Leno went to Emerson. And the thing about the college experience around comedy or entertainment is they're giving you permission. They're like, this isn't like this wild, crazy, impossible thing. It's a legitimate, a legitimate career choice sure screenwriting television production you know and if you're not coming from that background it's much a bigger leap it seems to me mm-hmm. a much more unusual thing to do if nobody in your family's into it nobody none of your peers are into it and right. you're just kind of winging it in the in the clubs I mean so my, my generation is really focused on Jimmy Fallon and yeah. I'm curious if, sure. if your thoughts on him I, I think he's brilliant yeah um, do, do, you ever, do you ever watch the show 
Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do too. And he's so multi. I mean, he has so many dimensions yes. to him. Yeah. He sings. He dances. Yeah. He's funny. He's a nice guy. He's personable. He's he can do interviews. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's great. Yeah. He's right. great. Well, no to me, it. it's yeah, it's hard to reinvent something like the Tonight Show, but he, he kind of has, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he. I mean, um, and Johnny Carson was. I grew up with Johnny. Yeah. The, the charming old guy who yeah. would, who would crack a joke here or there. Yeah. He could do a nice monologue, but but Fallon came up with this thing like. He, I think he'd realize some guests are going to be boring, right? Sure. Some guests, are, some really good-looking celebrities are not going to have anything to say. So why not play a game where I throw a pie in their face or something? Yeah, or you know? try and, to kick a field goal. Yeah, and some, it usually it works. It usually at least keeps you watching. I think. Absolutely, and he's just a, and that's a perfect example of how the host can really make the show. Yeah. They're drawing on all his strengths. He has so many strengths. And he, he, I just saw him at Comics Come Home here. Okay. And he was great. Uh, Dennis Leary brought him on and he did, you know, he just broke his wrist when he fell at the Hasty yeah. Pudding. Oh, yeah. So he did the song. He, he did a great song and dance with Leary. With, with, um, I'm back up. I, I can't even remember the song. It's an older song, but he right. was out there singing it and dance. I fall down. I get back up. I fall down. <laughs> I get back yeah, up. You know, it was tub, great. Tub thumping. I, I get knocked down and yeah. I get up again? Yeah. yeah who, sure. who did it? Uh, Chumbawamba. Tub. Okay, is one oh, one right. yeah, but they did a great down, version of it, and the place yeah. was just rocking. He's no, that, that was good. so good. He had Lenny on uh, just two nights ago. I think he had Lenny Clark on. Did he? Yeah, um, I gotta say, very sort of sterile set for Lenny, and and I don't know if. It seemed like so sanitized from what you know. Lenny is usually bang, bang, bang. Well, that's bang. television. Yeah, I guess you know that's a five-minute television. You know what you do in clubs and what you do in theater. You it's very difficult to bring that down and get get that five-minute essence. Stephen Wright can do it because his writing is perfect for yeah. television. It's thirty-second jokes. They're out of you know they're very unusual setups and punchlines and different angles on things. But if you're a storyteller or you're a real you know barnstorming comic or really you know high energy putting that on television for five minutes is always a challenge so um uh you've had plenty of material work in the boston scene boston politics there's always plenty to make yeah we talked about kennedy he was sort of a walking punchline himself and i don't mean that as a negative i mean with the accent and the and the oh yeah larger than that so tell can you tick off some some people over the years that you've enjoyed poking fun at um, do we get away from my game completely? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We, we, left. <laughs> we can get back. I don't care. I don't hey, but care. before you well, answer his question, we'll right, get back to. So. I, I, I just want to. So, so this is actually a correct answer to this question. What, what, what do you think of Dan Cook? Dan Cook is a guy that I have not watched a great deal of, and I'll tell you, the last time I watched him, I went to the Fleet Center, and he was there taping a special, and his manager at the time was Barry Katz. And who I am working with now, Barry Katz is a consultant in Los Angeles and a television producer. And the man who produced it was Bill Blumenreich, who actually runs the Wilbur Theater now. Mm. I said to Barry, this is probably 10 years ago, he sold out two shows at the Fleet Center. And I said, Barry, how the hell did he do that? Yeah, yeah. He, no advertising. He goes, no paid advertisement. He was one of the first comics to use the web, yeah. and to use at the time MySpace. And he's sending out little one-minute clips of his material and putting it out there to high school kids, college kids yeah. for free, and they share it. Jen Y loved it. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, and they yeah. loved it, and they it was a brilliant marketing campaign. We don't get him, Max. We just don't. So, so I don't I, think I, I've I, ever heard him I, say I, one. I, I don't have one <clears throat> bad thing to say you, about it. Come on, one. You're the one. only one. I don't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Come people on. don't like. I don't think he's a bad guy. I submit that if you were to read a transcript of his very best set ever, yeah. I mean, just sit down and read a transcript of it. Not a single bit of it would be funny. And I understand that there's content and there's delivery, and you have to marry the two. Um, if but you know, it might not Stephen be funny Wright. to you, yeah. but somebody thought it was funny exactly. because he filmed two shows at the Fleet Center. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like New Kids on the Block and, and heroin. Somebody's got to be doing it because it's so popular. People voting no for Donald Trump, Trump too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean there's no accounting. And that's the thing guess. about comedy. You know, I try not to begrudge anybody their success because. You know, uh, everybody has a different Except for style. Gallagher. <laughs> Except everybody. Gallagher, because everybody well, should be his success. What, 
Well, Monica. people love to bash Carrot Top. They love to bash Gallagher. <laughs> but you know something? You go out and do it. You go out and sell, sell all the stadium. Now I feel you bad. create an act. Well, Carrot you know Top's I mean? laughing all the way to the bank, right? That's right. I, I really feel bad for People have their own styles. You know what I mean? <laughs> Give me a watermelon. Some people work clean. Some people work filthy. Yeah. It's up. It's You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's whatever. That's the great thing about comedy. It's a reflection of humanity. Right. And just like there's all kinds of... Angles in humanity. There's all sorts of uh, dimensions to comedy. But, so I think. Is, I, wait, you need to tell us. Since you're at least half a generation younger than us, is yes. Dane Cook funny? Um, so I don't think so. Yes. But, I, but I will say. Which I love. Podcast confirmed. So there was Dane two. There, funny. there was two movies that came out that I think really solidified Dane Cook for whatever reason. Um, and Ryan Reynolds equally, although Ryan Reynolds just had a hilarious IKEA short. Um, where he's trying to put together a crib or something. And well, he's not a comic, there. though. But well, but, yeah. but he's an actor who, yeah. I, you know, maybe he didn't begin in comedy, but he's he's yeah. an actor who he does cool. comedies. Um, but so there's two movies, Waiting and then Employee of the Month. Employee of the Month is the Dane Cook movie. Okay. And it, it sort of highlighted just, you know, the mundane life of retail. Mm-hmm. And I think it just sort of solidified himself with a particular generation and their experience. And it was really that he was relatable as opposed to the fact that he was really smart or funny. Um, but <laughs> so he's not smart, he's not funny, but he's so <laughs> relatable that I just want to watch him. All right, I guess. And he's handsome. I mean, right? So but, there's, there's, shouldn't I know, be enough. I know. Anyway. There's a lot of dimensions to what makes people uh, work. <laughs> I mean, Eddie Murphy was handsome, but he was as funny as hell. When oh, he was right. I mean, so you, you, you uh, had a... Uh, important role in one of the great Boston movies of all time, Boondock Saints, which mm-hmm. the, don't, these guys haven't seen it, Jimmy. So the, you got that's your homework. Go home and watch Boondock Saints. It's um, played a priest. He played. You played Ooh, the priest, right? Yeah. So after the accent was perfect. Method, method acting. Confession. You were celibate for like a year. Yes. For this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was your study. That you, you studied yeah. the role. Yeah. <laughs> but give, we don't want to keep you here forever, Jimmy. But give yeah. us at least a few memories of what that was like shooting that movie. That was a ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was playing a priest. I was giving confession to William Dafoe. And uh, Lord knows time, he needed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the time, he, he was a drunken. Uh, he was playing a drunken detective, and he was trying to get these two vigilante guys, these Irish twins, who right. were Boston based, and one of them had a, a gun to my head in the confessional, and you couldn't see him. So I'm giving confession to this guy, and he's behind the screen, William Defoe, and the other guy's got the gun to my head, and so I'm trying to be like a priest like what would a priest do and saying it's okay son you know you, 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 you forgive you forgive or whatever I was saying yep. you're forgiven I was, and the other guy I'm saying and then anyway so you, I guess you, it goes back to your roots like you said yes it goes back to Catholicism and the, the funny thing is the kid who wrote that was it was his first movie and his name is um, he's from New Hampshire actually his name will come to me, but he wrote that, and they and they, tr- and they tried to screen, uh, they tried to change the script on him. They tried to change the script on him, and, he's, and he said, "You will change the script when you pry it from my cold dead hand." <laughs> Troy Duffy was his name. Okay, Troy Duffy from New Hampshire. Uh, from I think Nashua. Me too. I'm from Nashua. Really? And he was only at it was Nashua like High School Purple Panthers. Se- you know phase. Troy Duffy? No, I do not. Oh, you should get to know. How old is Troy Duffy? Is he uh, st- is how he st- old are you? I'm 36. He's about your age. Oh. Maybe he's a little older. How about that? Yeah. Okay. He's probably about 40 by now. Okay. Yeah, but he was a young guy at the time. And uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Do people recognize you from that movie? Uh, sometimes they probably sometimes. recognize you more for being. Yeah, I was gonna say single. you yeah. probably walk around people. You must get stopped all the what time. What do you get? Not all the time, but sometimes you know. Um, His wife is just wants to go out to a nice dinner without having yeah. Jimmy get. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean the Cambridge, Boston area. Yeah, around the country, not so much. Yeah, yeah. But here he must. Yeah. Yeah, but I've been around doing it for a while. I love it. I'm lucky. I love That's this great. town. I love the sensibilities in this city. Mm-hmm. You know, the great thing about this Massachusetts, New England area, you got so many contributing factors to what makes the people tick. You know, you got history, you've got politics, you've got tradition, you've got all sorts of ethnic balances, you've got, you know, the sports, you know, dimension, you've got the American Revolution, you've got all these things that go back to the pilgrims, right? So you got all these great dimensions here and the and the really high educational standards here. Mm-hmm. And so the people are well educated, but they're down to earth, they love to laugh, they know what's going on. And they're um, pretty funny. 
Yeah, but we, we, we really are the best. They hate well, us because they, they ain't us. But, we, but no, no, no. As we but say. I have to say, we also have an itch. We have a yes, definite we do. itch. You think? I'll give you an example. Oh, my son's right now going to the University of Alabama, right? Awesome. And when I say, thank you for saying That's that. That's amazing. But I got to say, when you tell That's most it. people from Massachusetts, yeah, my son's going to the University of Alabama, their reaction is, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I'll tell you why. Because we have a prejudice towards the South that we don't know we have, but we have it. And oh, I'm saying, I have some great you know, so true. Yeah. So, you we, know we think we do. You're from the South? No, but I went to I went to college in Missouri. Okay. Um, so I also left New England right. as well. But college. when you go away, and when I was down there looking at the school, I got a call from a writer for the Boston Globe, Billy. But I'm going to blank on his last name. But anyway, he said, he said, what are you doing? He was calling about last winter's snowstorm. He goes, what are you, he was, you know, what are comics thinking? I said, listen, I'm down in uh, Alabama right now. I, I can't talk too long. He goes, what are you doing in Alabama? I said, well, my son's considering going down here. He goes, you know what? I went to Tulane in the 80s, and it was the best decision I ever made to get out of Massachusetts. Yeah. I grew up there to get out of Massachusetts and go to another, it was like parachuting in yeah. to another country on a certain level. Mm-hmm. He says, but you see, you, you broaden your own perspective about who you are and what New England's like Absolutely. and what the South is like, and it was a great, so that was a real nudge for me to encourage my son to continue going. But the people are so friendly. Absolutely. You know, they, they're like, oh, yes, sir, no, sir. They're extremely friendly. And I'll just tell you this funny story. Sure. We're coming, my wife is a very nervous flyer. And so we've gone down a couple of times. So the second time, when we dropped my son off in September to go to school, we're flying back, and our tickets got screwed up, so we weren't sitting together. She was about five rows away from me. So she's a very nervous flyer, and there was a lot of turbulence on the plane. Yeah. And she's really nervous. And this, she's, she's gripping the chair, the armrest like this, and this large black woman across the aisle noticed Roger, it, just... noticed it, and she reached over, yeah. and she put her hand on my wife's on. arm and said, it's okay, darling. So sweet. We're going to be all right. The Lord's going to protect us. Oh, no. And, and my wife turned to us and said, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I said, that's, that's so beautiful. Really my nice. point is, could you imagine that happening in Boston? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Security! Somebody touched me! Yeah, yeah. and the pilot better have a gun at that point because the pilot better have a gun at that point because something's going to go down. I just want to contrast that with, with, with Boston. I love Boston. I love the people here. About this summer, I was looking for directions. I was in South Boston. I'm driving around, and there was a concert going on. What is the the play? Put the pavilion. Right? Blue Hill Pavilion. And there was a yeah. bunch of state troopers it, out there. Oh, yeah. There was a bunch of state yeah. troopers out there, and I'm trying to find Amarines, right? And I'm I'm lost. I'm not sure where I am. And I'm meeting my son and wife there, and I I asked one of the state troopers. I go, excuse me, sir, can you tell me where Amarines is? And he looks at me, and goes, pull over. He comes walking over to the car, and he goes. Are you Jimmy Tango? Said, oh, yes, I am. He goes, you're kind of a famous guy. I said, well, thank you. Thank you very much. What are you driving this shitbox for? Well, and then he, he leans on the mirror. He, he puts his hand oh, on the no. rear view mirror. I'm like, excuse me, sir. The mirror fell off last week in the car wash. Could you not lean on it? There's a wood screw holding it in. But he couldn't have been nicer, but that's right. our Boston. Right. That's how right. we say we love you. That's what are you driving this shit box for? And that's the Boston sensibility. Yeah. So. Um, all right, I'm going to do this before we go, and then we're going to let sure. you go. And by the way, I'll say it again. Jimmy Tingle, find him on jimmytingle.com. And I guess if people um, are persuaded by what you're doing with humor for humanity, what's the best thing they can do? Try yeah, to try go to my own. website. Yeah. Go to the website, fill out a booking form. I do yeah. I do private parties, corporate events, fundraisers all the time. Mm-hmm. I do auctions, I do all sorts of things, but I'm also trying to more and more partner with nonprofits to create win win situations. JimmyTingle.com, there's a booking form right there. You can look at some of the podcasts we've done with some other groups. I try to create an uh, an interview session so the organization can use it to promote their event that we'll do together, and that's been working out pretty well. well. J- Jimmy did an incredible job at the WBA Comedy Night last last year. Oh, the yeah. Women in Comedy, right? And, and that, that's a I mean, not that, Women in Comedy, no, no, women, women's, women's Bar women's, Foundation, Women's Bar Foundation, and that that's a that's a delicate room. I mean, you, you, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, Jimmy made that's a tough fu- room because fu- everyone's yeah. chit chatting in the back, which I can't stand. Yeah, but but Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy did a great job yeah. and had to had to uh, do he, he he did his comedy, but he also had to to MC yeah. a comedy competition. 
and do the auction. Which Dave yes. lost. Which I lost. By yeah. the way. Right. You were, I, I did the. I had my guitar. Did I did. You lose? I went. I yeah. lost. Oh, big time! Yeah, you I went down the, in flames. I, I did uh, the Tom Brady Deflate Gate, a rock, uh, Tommy, a rock, rock opera. opera with, I remember that. I love how Jimmy's pretending you remember that. That's, that's no, 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 no. Now that you bring it up, I didn't make the connection. And then you said, "Oh, you're that guy." You know who won? Conan O'Brien's brother won. He should have been DQ'd. Ringer. Yeah, Ringer. He should not. He should not have won that. Yeah. He was good, though. He was good. They he were both good. good. There was the tie. Wasn't there very right. close? Right. Very, very close. Right. Yeah. Because there yeah. were two They firms. were both very good. Right. But and after seeing that, it, I, mean, it, I mean, any any corporate but, group that's having an event should should uh, should absolutely yeah. call Jimmy. Oh, yeah. No, so that, 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 and then that's an example of where I get paid to do my thing, but I can MC, yep. I can do the auction, host the comedy thing and nothing is more gratifying than me, to me than when a non-profit is having an event and they make more money than they made before and that's been my experience with a lot of these yep. so, so you grabbed a thousand bucks out of my pocket which, good. I, which I did not intend <laughs> to spend that for uh, causes around better, better women primarily right yeah they give free legal advice to yep. people yep. who are struggling yep. Yep. So thank uh, you for doing that. My pleasure, Max. Um, thank so, you. That was great. So we're going to do this rapid fire. I'm going to throw out... Um, these are quotes from Boston comedians. That, okay. Uh, jokes. And okay. so see if you recognize them. If you don't, right. it's okay. You're unprepared. Okay. All right. I'm a horrible driver. Last year I was in 11 accidents. I came in fifth in the state. Don Gavin. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Let's give him a... See, now, right. if you do <laughs> local guys, I know they're asked. These are all local I've, guys. I've worked with them all. all but if you guys. start giving me national names, I'm, I'm not going to be so good. Yeah, this one's easy. What's another word for a thesaurus? <laughs> I, I might have this. Stephen right. Wright. Correct. Yeah. Uh, what was it? The, the ne- Stephen Wright. Yeah. The, the yeah. next one I would have given it What was the joke? What's that's, another that's joke? That's it, Jimmy. Think about <laughs> it. What's, what's, a, what's another word for a thesaurus? Okay, you good. Now I get it. I went to a, I went to a restaurant that serves breakfast anytime, so I ordered French toast during the Renaissance. Steve oh, Wright. Also Stephen Wright, yeah. It's a uh, small world. Just great. But I wouldn't want to paint it. Exactly. Right, right, right. Um, okay. Racism isn't born, folks. It's taught. I have a two-year-old son. You know what he hates? Naps. End of list. <laughs> this is someone you've already mentioned in the show. Uh, who you saw recently with uh, Fallon. Leary. Leary, correct. Yeah. Right. We'll give you the... All right. Who I, I haven't forgiven Dennis Leary for the chapter in his book called uh, Autism, Schmautism, where he, he poo-poos the whole notion that kids have... Uh, my son is autistic. Autism. I think he apologized. We'll Leary, Leary's a poor man's Jimmy Tingle, if you ask me. <laughs> That's right. Who's that? Dennis Leary? Leary. Uh-huh. Uh, Republicans, <laughs> another Boston comic. Republicans have called for a national African-American museum. The plan is being held up by finding a location that isn't in their neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Who's that? Conan. Conan, Conan O'Brien. Very yeah. good. Uh, by the way, uh, if... Listen or read Conan O'Brien's commencement address at Harvard. Yeah, one of the most great. hilarious things yeah. I've, I've ever read. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. It's no. really good. Oh, it's amazing. But is he even yeah. writing his own stuff? I mean, do you write all of your own stuff? I do. You bet he does. Yeah. And, and you so have that, to. And that's what I mean is like, just because Conan and Jimmy, they don't write their own stuff anymore, right? Well, I mean, put it this way. They're writers. I don't know how Conan did that commencement address. I did a commencement address at Harvard as well. Mm-hmm. You can find that at my website. I saw that, yeah. Love yeah. to see that. And that I did write. <laughs> but, I mean, what they do is they're writers. They know their voice. Oh. And so they work yeah. towards their voice. Now, he he's a brilliant writer, Conan. He was a national... That's how he got started. Yeah. He, he wrote yeah. the uh, so Conan episode. It doesn't surprise me at all that he wrote the, that commencement no, Conan, Conan was hasty pudding, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah, and he wrote for the Simpsons. That commencement was particularly yeah. brilliant. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Max Berlin, you have to tell me if you think this line is funny. Yeah. Uh, when people refer to back in the day, it was a Wednesday. Just a little fun fact for you. Is that funny? Well... I don't no. Know. Do you think it's funny? Yeah. If you think it's not funny at all, who might it be? Dan, Dan Cook. Cook. Dan oh Cook, yeah. my God! But I, I bet he gesticulated <laughs> a lot. But I don't understand that. Don't it's understand a, of course you don't, because <laughs> he's not freaking funny. <laughs> no, it's kind of funny. Back in the day, it was I don't know. All right, we'll do one more. The meal isn't over when I'm full. The meal is over okay. when I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's a woman. No, 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 no women made the list. Sorry. Lenny? No, not Lenny. I That's a sensitive person who wrote that. It's yes. a very insightful joke. Right. It but is. it's uh, someone who's also slightly, at least slightly overweight, and he's very big right now. Uh, big in stature or big in. 
Not a Boston guy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. Santorelli. Newton. No. Uh, oh, uh, uh, um, Louis. Louis That's C. right. K? Louis C.K. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. How did I? Like I, I failed in my research because right. I don't Very even. Sensitive guy. How do I not have a Lenny Clark on here? Terrible. You could have comedically profiled that that joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, Jimmy Tingle, you've been very uh, generous with your time, which of we course, appreciate. Listen, you guys um, got a great thing going here. We I enjoy you, it. I wish you the best success. It's Hot nice being on with three people, talking in a very light and relaxed atmosphere, and thank you for letting me speak. Our pleasure, and uh, we want totally rich off this thing too. Yeah, yeah. So you know. what oh, you making yeah. next? We'll it's let ridiculous. You, we'll let you know when that happens. All right, um, but uh, please find uh, everything you need to know about Jimmy at jimmytingle.com. He's going to be at the Wilbur Theater on New Year's Eve, 7.30 p.m. Great show. So uh, go, you get your comedy, and yeah. then you go ringing the New Year later, I take That's it. You're I not play harmonica, and I'm playing, the, I'm playing Ole Lang Syne at the end of the show, so I'm going to ring in the oh, New I Year love with it. that. Yeah. And 10% of the net proceeds benefit Globe, Globe Santa, Santa. Globe Santa as part of our Humor for Humanity mission. That's Humor awesome. for Humanity, more than entertainment, raising spirits, funds, and awareness for nonprofits, charities, and social causes. Our mission is your mission. Humor for Humanity. Humor in helping, humor in healing, humor in hope. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> what? Next time you're on, Jimmy, we're just going to leave the microphone and just, we, we don't need to be here. What do we need to be? We'll just sit back and listen. Um, thanks again. Uh, find all past episodes of the Boston Podcast at thebostonpodcast.com. Speaking of which, episodes of your podcast, Jimmy, also at jimmytingle.com or, or yeah. elsewhere? Yeah. Okay. Everything you need to know about Jimmy, jimmytingle.com. Thanks so much. See you next time on the Boston Podcast.